Thanks, Wilson. You can see why we joined Wilson in planting a church. He's such an encourager, right? Hopefully you've experienced that from him. Um, so, yeah, like he said, uh, my name is Jonathan. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I uh, work with Athletes in Action, which is a ministry of crew. We've been on staff um, for about 15 years now as missionaries. So we appreciate the prayer for missionaries. Uh, we think, you know, and to be honest with you, I, I feel like I was thinking as Wilson was talking about praying for missions, um, I bet some of you are in here and you're thinking like, why, why do churches talk about missions so much? You know, cause I grew up in the church and that's what I always thought. In fact, I was always, um, asked, you know, by adults, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And one of my sisters would always say, I'm going to be a missionary. And I was like, that is a dumb answer. Um, <clears throat> I'm never going to do that. So of course God called me into missions, but, um, we're going to talk more about it um, in the Word this morning. Um, but before we get into that, uh, let me, as is tradition here at Renew, let me give you a question. would love for you to just um, spend time with one or two people next to you, um, just talking about this for a minute. So um, describe a time in your life. Uh, let's see. There we go. Describe a time in your life where you're full of fear. Um, what made you fearful or why were you fearful? So just spend two minutes with one or two people next to you and I'll bring us back. All right. I'm going to bring us back because you guys are starting to get louder and there will come a point because I have a quiet voice where I won't be able to overpower you. So I'm taking advantage. So yeah, I mean, hopefully you guys were thinking of a handful of things. Um, you know, uh, for me, I experienced a lot of fear and anxiety as a child. Um, just ridiculous stuff. So, like, my mom would go to get money out of the ATM, and it would be, like, car, sidewalk, ATM, right in front of us. And she'd be like, sweetheart, I'm just going to step out, and I'm going to get some money out. And uh, I would freak out. And I'd be like, no, I need to come with you. Um, just because I was anxious that something was going to happen to me while she was at the ATM right in front of my face. <laughs> Um, swimming lessons. I mean, any of you that have kids, probably, you know, kids freak out when they get in the water for the most part. I was one of those kids. I probably didn't ride a roller coaster until high school, maybe. Um, I was scared of roller coasters. My younger sister went on before me. That was a little embarrassing, but, um, you know, I was scared of them. And then I played sports growing up, and uh, I remember Little League games, just like so nervous, like shaking, you know, I probably peed my pants a couple times. Um, and then as I began to play basketball in junior high, like sixth, seventh grade, I was thinking there was a, actually a particular guy that I feared um, named Bobby. Bobby was a friend of mine in sixth and seventh grade, but Bobby was like, he was a tough kid. He was strong. You know, he would always back me down, <clears throat> and I couldn't do anything about it. It seemed like all of his shots would go in, and, uh, and man, he knew he was good, too, so that was part of the problem. So if, you know, I was happening to guard Bobby one day, um, and he got the best of me, I would hear about it the rest of the day, um, and, you know, it just made it tough to have good days when I had to guard Bobby. So I feared guarding Bobby, but here's the thing. Bobby was like a five-foot-seven-year-old, snot-nosed junior hire, right? What if one day while we were playing, 
Um, this guy walked over to me, put his hand on me, and was like, Jonathan, what's up, man? Um, let's do this. I'm going to be on your team, and we're going to take these guys down. <clears throat> I was tempted to put a Lakers jersey on him, yes. by the way. Uh but you know what would happen is not only would I not need to worry about Bobby anymore, right? But I would have instantly become like the most confident, cool kid at my junior high. Um, why? Why is that? It's be- simply because I was friends with LeBron, right? That's it. He was on my team. Like no one would have a chance against us and we wouldn't lose again. Um, And, you know, just like I would have confidence in LeBron to carry me through any basketball game as we set out to become junior high school world champions, um, those of us who are followers of Jesus, who call ourselves Christians, also can be confident, can rest with confident assurance that Jesus will carry us through life, Um, that even when we're faced with tough opposition, that he has already defeated it. That there's nothing that he can fa- that we can face that he hasn't already defeated. And you know, he may be King, king James on the court, but Jesus, Jesus is king of the world. And he has dominion over everything, not just basketball. So I want to look at our passage this morning. We're going to continue in Matthew chapter 10, as we have been reading. Um, and we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Let me read it, and then let me give some context. Sound good? Uh, there you go. So, <clears throat> so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Let me actually pray as we jump in. God, thanks for your word. Um, thanks that no matter where we're coming from this morning, that your word meets us, God, and that you want to shepherd us, and that you want to teach us. So I pray that your spirit would speak through me, God, and that you'd speak to each of us in this room this morning. Amen. Um, so let me give you guys some context for this uh, this passage. So we're picking up kind of in the middle of a commissioning that Jesus is doing with his 12 disciples. And an interesting thing as I was studying this passage that kind of popped up was in that the end of chapter 9, Jesus kind of shares a famous prayer, or he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest um, to send out laborers. And then immediately, in chapter 10, verse 1, what does Jesus do? He pulls his 12 together, and he says, hey, it's time to, time to be sent, time to go out. And this is kind of a, it's a short-term missions trip for them, right? Um, it's kind of their first taste of missions. 
Um, but I think what's what's good to note about that is that often in the Christian in the world that we live in in the church, we say, "Hey, I'll pray for that," or "Let's pray for this um, thing that we're supposed to pray for." But then we leave and we don't do anything about it, right? What Jesus models here is, he says, "Hey, let's pray for laborers," and then he immediately takes action. So I, th- I just think that's an, that's a good thing to notice. And you know, this wasn't a new thing when Jesus sent out the twelve. In fact, there's a history all throughout the Bible of any character just about that you read that Jesus or God sent them out. And so you think about Genesis, starting in chapter 3. God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. In chapter 7 of Genesis, God sends Noah to build an ark, right, and to take all these people and animals on the ark. In chapter 11 of Genesis, there's the Tower of Babel, and God confuses the languages of the people, and what does he do? He sends them out into the world. In chapter 12, we see God send Abraham. And with Abraham, he says, hey, I know you're living here, but I'm gonna, I want you to go. And Abraham's like, where do you want me to go? He's like, I, I'm not going to tell you yet, but I want you to go. Um, and so he sends Abraham. And then Abraham, and then Jacob. We see in Jacob's life, later in Genesis, he's sent multiple times. Jacob's son Joseph um, is... Uh, is captured by his brothers, and they sell him into slavery into Egypt. Not a great way to be sent, but nonetheless, God sends him to go before his people in Egypt. And then when you start Exodus, we see Moses, right, is sent to, to rescue um, the nation of Israel in, um, in Egypt. So that's just the first chapter of the Bible, right? Like, And I probably skipped some people. But all throughout the Bible, God sends his people um, and the reason that he sends, what you find is that God's sending is motivated by brokenness. It's motivated because there are people that are separated from God. And so he sends his people out to be a part of making that right. And what's cool, too, is when he sends people and his people go, you know what happens? Is he typically blesses them. He typically um, announces blessing in their lives. Now, just because somebody's sent doesn't mean they're always sent under favorable circumstances, like I mentioned with Joseph. But we also see, um, even in the immediate context here in verse 20 of chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples that his spirit goes with us. So when he sends people, we, he just doesn't say, see you later, uh, I'll see you when you get back. But he says, I'm going to go with you, uh, that his spirit goes with us as he sends us. So again, That's the larger context as we jump into this passage. So the disciples are just getting ready to go, right? And Jesus is kind of commissioning them to be sent ones. And that's where we jump in here. So in verse 26, he says, have no fear of them. And my first question as I was studying this passage is like, who is them? Um, It's a grammatically correct question, so I asked it. Um, We can get some clues from previous things he said. So in verse 16... Jesus says, um, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So wolves is part of that. In verse 17, he says, Beware of men who will deliver you over. So people that are opposed to God. And then in verse 21, he's talking about brothers turning over sisters and parents turning over their children. Um, So in other words, that family sometimes is even opposed to God's purposes. And so the them really what we can conclude is that it's anyone who is opposed to God and his kingdom. So he says, but have no fear of them. 
He's telling his disciples. And then he says, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Again, I'm like, what are you talking about, Jesus? So two things I think he's referring to in these couple verses. First, is that God's kingdom, the truth of who God is and what this world is all about, is going to be revealed to all people. Okay? And that all who live in opposition to God will be exposed. That's going to happen. It's in the Bible. In Romans 14, Paul says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So that's what Jesus is reminding them of first, I think, in these two verses. Secondly, um, we see that, uh, and I think I, I meant to mention, we can talk, uh, let me see if I can get this here. I turned it off, that's why. Hmm. Yeah, that's okay, well, we're going to sing a worship song, ready? No, <laughs> Um, if you guys, there you go. Thank you. So I think in this first half, what Jesus is kind of pointing out is what's some things that are true about us. So again, back to verses 27, 26 and 27. First, that God's truth is going to be known to all people. We know that. Second, if you know Christ, I think what Jesus is saying is that his truth is going to transform you inwardly. And as a result, you're going to be compelled to share outwardly. Um, and I, I thought this was really interesting. A commentator said this, and I was like, oh, that's a good thing, to, good thing to quote. He said, no one can speak for Christ unless Christ has spoken to him or to her. See, sometimes I think we can get so um, caught up in the sending aspect of our faith and the missions that we forget that if we send people out that really don't know Christ, then they don't have anything to say in the first place, Right? Um, and so I think Jesus is saying, hey, what I've told you in the darkness, when you spent time with me in the morning, when we spend time in God's word and I share the truth with you, I'm preparing you to go out and share that in the light, right? But if we don't spend time with God, if we don't know him, then why would we go tell anybody about him? In verse 28, uh, it says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the second thing I think we learn here about what's true about us is that the body is temporal. I think we probably know that already. Um, it's, it's external and it's temporal. And the function of the body, um, depending on whether you follow Jesus or not, it's either going to conceal or reveal what is internal. And what is internal is actually eternal. So what I love about that is that Jesus is saying, hey, your body actually is a part of your spiritual life. Sometimes you could read this and be like, oh, so the body doesn't matter? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, the body is part of your spiritual life. Um, but if you're an opposed to Christ, then what you use your body to do is to suppress the truth and to keep it hidden, right? Because the truth exposes what's in there. And so if you don't know Christ, then... And even for us that do know Christ, sometimes we're tempted to suppress what's true because it's ugly, <laughs> we're sinful, we're broken. Um, but those who are followers of Christ, I think, are motivated to expose what is hidden, right? And that's, what, again, what Jesus is talking about. We're motivated to expose the truth that actually I am broken, but here's the truth that God has already rescued me from my brokenness. And so 
Um, why would we do that? Uh, there's a, quite a few contrasts in this passage. You know, if you study scripture, you look for contrasts. So you see hidden versus revealed, darkness versus light, whisper versus proclamation, and in that same comparison, soul versus body, right? So um, why would I be motivated to expose what is hidden? Well, the, the result of that, hopefully, would be that my external even though it's temporal, would reflect what's internal, right? Um, one way that I do that as an example would be um, I meet with a couple guys every week um, for accountability. So we talk about the ugly inside, <laughs> right? We share the stuff, the things that I thought about this week that weren't very good, um, the things maybe I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at, um, I share maybe thoughts about people that I didn't want to be thinking. I share about my anger towards my kids. You know, the stuff in my heart that's not good. And we all have that stuff. And so well, the reason I meet with um, these guys is not because I love talking about that stuff necessarily, but it's because I want my external, what I do, to, to reflect what's internal. And I want my internal to be changed, to be like Christ. So Jesus calls his followers to focus on the internal, on what is eternal here. He says, don't worry about the body, um, but invest in the eternal. And did you guys know that there's actually only three things that the Bible says are eternal? And they are God, his word, and the souls of men and women. So when he says focus on the eternal, he's saying, let's, let's worry about the soul. Um, let's care for the soul. Um, one illustration that has always been helpful for me uh, is what I would call like the line and the dot illustration. As we think about what's temporal and what's eternal, um, this rope represents eternity, okay? And it goes on forever, even though you can't tell that it does that way. And it goes on forever that way. So it goes, you know, all the way up through California, all the way, you know, around the North Pole and back. And this one goes south, so it's going through the Latin America, okay? So this line represents eternity, and it goes on forever in both directions. And Jesus says that our souls actually last for eternity. They're meant to last for eternity. Um, but our bodies and what we see in front of us are actually just represented by this little blue dot right here. So my... I don't know, maybe I'll live for 80 years. Maybe you'll live for 90. I don't know. So 90, 80 years, whatever. That looks like this in comparison to eternity that goes on forever, right? So what Jesus is saying is, hey, let's live for the line, not the dot. Let's invest in things that matter forever. Not in this, right? Not just in this. Does that make sense? Um <clears throat> So in the second half of the passage, I think what we see um, is that there are some things that are true about God that Jesus wants us to know about. So hopefully at this point, as we read the passage, we kind of notice some repetition. Um, in verse 26, Jesus says, have no fear. In verse 28, he says, do not fear. In verse 31, again, he says, fear not, therefore. Right? So... Um, What's cool, too, is in verse 28, there's a contrast to go with that repetition. 
Whenever you see repetition in scripture, what you want to notice or want to say to yourself is like, man, I need to think about that a little bit because he said it three times in a matter of a few verses, right? Um, And he kind of gives us a hint how he wants to think about it in verse 28 where he says, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's a contrast, right? And I think what we learn about God here is that we he's worthy of our, us fearing him, that we need to fear him. In Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so, you know, if LeBron told me to stop shooting, I would do it. You know why? Because he's way better at basketball than me. Um, if he told me to move out of the way because he was going to drive and dunk on Bobby, then I would do it gladly, right? If he told me to set him a screen, I would do it. Um, but you know, if Bobby told me to do something and LeBron was on my team, I'd be like, dude, be quiet. I don't care what you, what you have to say, you know? Um, and so, you know, if God is on my team... <laughs> And he tells me to do something, which he kind of has, by the way, in the Bible. I probably should do it. Or I'm going to do it. I want to be motivated to do it. If he says to me, Jonathan, hey, stop trying to make much of yourself in this little dot of life that you have, I should probably do it. If he says, hey, Jonathan, you need to talk to your wife because there's some tension going on in your relationship right now, and you need to resolve that, I should probably do it. You know, if, if he says, hey, Jonathan, your neighbor's outside right now, I know you don't want to do it, but maybe you should go talk to him and just start a relationship so that you can eventually talk to him about me. Maybe I should go do that. Um, <clears throat> God is worthy of our fear. And in fact, the reason that we fear the Lord is because he knows what's best. And so he's worthy of, of us listening to him. Um, in verse 29... Uh, Jesus gives an analogy. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not yet, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? So sparrows at the time were customarily thought of as like the, the smallest of birds, right? And a penny, as you know, pennies today, we don't really think they're worth anything either, but a penny at the time had the same meaning. It was the least valuable of Roman coins. And yet, what Jesus is saying is that those sparrows, God still created them intricately and thoughtfully and that he sustains their life, right? Also, I thought this was an interesting study note, although my wife didn't think it was that interesting, is that um, in Matthew, um, he says, hey, you can get, if you go down to the market, you get two sparrows for one penny. In Luke's account of this same story, the same commissioning, he actually says, if you go down to the market, some vendors will give you five sparrows for two pennies, right? <laughs> so if you do the math there, you actually get one free if you go to Luke's guy, right? <clears throat> and I think that's interesting because, in a sense, that sparrow that you get for free has no value in the world's eyes. And yet Jesus is saying, that sparrow I created intricately and thoughtfully, and I care deeply about the details of its life. So how much more do I care about you, right? So what do we learn about God, I think, in these last 29 through 31? In 29, I think what he's saying is that God is our lover and our protector, right? We just read that. In verse 30, that he knows everything about us. It says that he knows every hair on our head. 
And then in verse 31, um, that he finds us of great value. It says that explicitly, right? He says to his disciples, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Um, <clears throat> to be honest, like I just think, man, I don't sit and think about God and who he is enough. And that's why I tend to fear man, right? I do tend to watch my fair share of basketball. And so when I think about LeBron, I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure I would defer to him. For sure I wouldn't fear Bobby because I, I know LeBron. I've watched him for hours and hours, right? But how much have I just sat and thought about who God is? Because I think if I think about these things and many other attributes of God, it's going to help me be motivated to not care what people think as he sends me out, right? And so I want to help you do that for a second. I want to just show you a quick video that is really helpful for me as I try and practice the discipline of thinking about who God is. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's in Enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, but yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You 
Hopefully that is just helpful, I think, as you know, we think about who Jesus is as he sends us. Um, man, I would fall, I'm going to follow him, you know. So what have we learned in this passage? Um, first, what I think we're seeing is that the God of the Bible is so much greater, so much higher, so much worthy of our trust than any man or relative or anyone else who opposes him. That he's perfectly loving and eternal. And second, that we live in temporal, external bodies that are broken. That though we're meant for eternity, we have to work to intentionally expose the truth so that our whole self reflects what is eternal. So we get to the last couple verses here. It says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So if we choose to fear the Lord, not men who oppose us, we will grow to know and to love Christ. And our natural response is going to be to fall on the cross, to trust Jesus that he's going to carry us um, as we go out into the mission in a world where our bodies will die, right? (laughs) The verdict is in, 100% of people die. Our bodies will die, and so we don't need to fear that. If we choose to fear the Lord, not men who oppose us, then it's going to be a natural progression, according to Jesus, to acknowledge us as his beloved before the Father, right? So what if when LeBron walked over to greet me, um, I instead chose to ignore him. I was like, oh yeah, I've heard about you, but sweet, now we got another guy, I'm going to go play for Bobby, <laughs> right? You know what would happen? One, I would lose miserably, right? Like, we'd get crushed. Um, and two, if I saw LeBron later on in life, he wouldn't remember me or care for me because we had never won those junior high world championships together. <laughs> And so in the same way, don't you see? Like, I, I don't have to do this for God. I don't have to go out and perform for him. In fact, he wants to do this for me. He wants to go with us as he sends us. In fact, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, right? Like, he's already done it. <laughs> it's not even that he needs things done. He's already done it. He, there's nothing that can defeat him. And so he simply invites us to lean on him and to join him in the mission that he calls us to. And so we don't have to fear. And the result will be that as we know Christ, he will lovingly um, acknowledge us before the Father. So as we close, um, I just want to talk about this, have you guys talk about it for a couple minutes instead of walking out and kind of saying, oh, that was a nice message or that was a lousy message. Um, I want to consider together Uh, What's an area of your life and faith today where you are fearful? 
Or is God calling you to lean into the cross and move out in faith instead of cowering back in fear? So let's just maybe back in those groups as the band comes up. Uh, take a couple minutes to share with each other what's, what's an area, and then we'll, we'll keep going with the service.